Hey everyone, bonus episode here. I'm starting a new podcast where if you really enjoy the nature of this show, you might enjoy this new one. It's called The Origin of Species for Bastards, where basically I'm going to read through The Origin of Species by Charles Darwin, and I'm just going to make smart-ass comments as I read. And it's part audiobook, part podcast, but it's entirely for you bastards. Um, so what you're going to hear now is the very first episode. Um, they're just starting to come out, so you can check your feeds for the origin of species for bastards sometime soon and go ahead and rate that one, subscribe to it. And those episodes will be coming out, um, in the very near future, but you faithful listeners of Biology for Bastards, get a sneak peek of the very first episode. So I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the very first episode of The Origin of Species for Bastards. I have no clue what this is going to turn into, but right now we're going to say it's part audiobook, part podcast, and all for the bastards. So the idea is going to read through The Origin of Species by Charles Darwin, the 1859 pivotal work that kind of changed biology forever. And I'm just going to comment on it as I read. I've always wanted to read this. I'm about three-fourths of the way done with it, but I always stop. And I figured if other people wanted to read this or have it read to them, this is a good way to do it. So, um, I'm just going to read it. I've got a book here that is the first, it's not the first edition, but it represents the original text of the first edition. And I'm just going to read it. And then if I have anything that just kind of pops into my head as I'm reading it, any smart-ass comments, um, I'm going to make them. And I don't know if we're going to do it chapter by chapter or kind of subsection of each chapter because some of these chapters are pretty long. Um, we're just going to kind of wing it. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. And if not, well, fuck you. I'm doing this for me. So... Let's get going. <clears throat> the Origin of Species by Charles Darwin. Introduction. When on board HMS Beagle as naturalist, I was much struck with certain facts in the distribution of the inhabitants of South America and in the geological relations of the present to the past inhabitants of that continent. Fuck, I forgot how like wordy this shit is. These facts seem to throw some light on the origin of species, that mystery of mysteries, as it has been called by one of our greatest philosophers. On my return home, it occurred to me, in 1837, that something might perhaps be made out of this question by patiently accumulating and reflecting on all sorts of facts which could possibly have any bearing on it. After five years' work, I allowed myself to speculate on the subject, and drew up some short notes. These I enlarged in 1844 into a sketch of the conclusions, which then seemed to be probable. From that period to the present day, 
1859. I have steadily pursued the same object. I hope that I may be excused for entering on these personal details, as I give them the show I have not been hasty in coming to a decision. My work is now nearly finished, but as it will take me two or three more years to complete it, and as my health is far from strong, Bastard was always sick. Like, always fucking sick. Uh, I have been urged to publish this abstract. It's a 450 fucking page abstract. I have more especially been induced to do this as Mr. Wallace, that's Alfred Russell Wallace, for those listening, who is now studying the natural history of the Malay archipelago, has arrived at almost exactly the same general conclusions that I have on the origin of species. Oh, fuck, I skipped the page. There we go. Last year he sent to me a memoir on this subject with a request that I would forward it to Sir Charles Lyell who sent it to the Linnaean Society, and it is published in the third volume of the Journal of that Society. Sir C. Lyell and Dr. Hooker, who both knew of my work, the latter having read my sketch of 1844, honored me by thinking it advisable to publish, and with, with Mr. Wallace's excellent memoir, some brief extracts from my manuscripts. This abstract, which I now publish, must necessarily be imperfect. I cannot here give references and authorities for my several statements, and I must trust to the reader reposing some confidence in my accuracy. No doubt errors will have crept in, though I hope I have always been cautious in trusting to good authorities alone. I can here give only the general conclusions at which I have arrived, with a few facts and illustration, but which, I hope, in most cases will suffice. No one can feel more sensible than I do of the necessity of hereafter publishing in detail all the facts, with references on which my conclusions have been grounded, and I hope in a future work to do this. For I am well aware that scarcely a single point is discussed in this volume on which facts cannot be adduced, often apparently leading to conclusions directly opposite to those at which I have arrived. A fair result can be obtained only by fully stating and balancing the facts and arguments on both sides of each question, and this cannot possibly be here done. I much regret the want of space prevents my having the satisfaction of acknowledging the generous assistance which I have received from very many naturalists, some of them personally unknown to me. I cannot, however, let this opportunity pass without expressing my deep obligations to Dr. Hooker who for the last 15 years has aided in aided me in every possible way by his large stories of knowledge and his excellent judgment. I have no fucking clue who Dr. Hooker is. I've never heard of this bastard in my life. But apparently he was cool. I'm guessing. Alright, back to reading. In considering the origin of species, it is quite conceivable that a naturalist, reflecting on the mutual affinities of organic beings on their embryological relations, their geographical distribution, geological succession, and other such facts, might come to the conclusion that each species has not been independently created, but has descended, like varieties, from other species. Nevertheless, such a conclusion, even if well-founded, would be unsatisfactory, until it could be shown how the innumerable species inhabiting this world have been modified, so as to acquire that perfection of structure and co-adapt- co-adaptation which most justly excites our admiration. 
Naturalists continually refer to external conditions such as food, climate, etc. Holy shit. So on the internet, the ampersand was just kind of a big thing. And I saw that you could use the ampersand and the letter C for etc. Totally what just happened with that etc. It's ampersand C. So, sorry. Um, naturalists continually refer to external conditions such as food, climate, etc. as the only possible cause of variation. In one very limited sense, as we shall hereafter see, this may be true, but it is preposterous to attribute to mere external conditions the structure, for instance, of the woodpecker, with its feet, tail, beak, and tongue so admirably adapted to catch insects under the bark of trees. In the case of the mistletoe, which draws its nourishment from certain trees, which has seeds that must be transported by certain birds, of which flowers with separate sexes absolutely requiring the agency of certain insects to bring pollen from one flower to the other, it is equally preposterous to account for the structure of this parasite, with its relations to several distinct organic beings by the effects of external conditions or of habit or of the volition of the plant itself. The author of The Vestiges of Creation would, I presume, say that, after a certain unknown number of generations, some bird had given birth to a woodpecker and some plant to the mistletoe, and that these have produced perfect, have been produced perfect as we now see them. But this assumption seems to me to be no explanation, for it leaves the case of the co-adaptations of organic beings to each other and to species has a narrow range, and it... Did I skip another fucking page? Yep, these pages keep sticking together. Let me start that sentence over. It's way back, because there's a fuck ton of commas. Um, blah, 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 blah. I think this entire paragraph has been one sentence. Yep. The author of The Vestiges of Creation would, I presume, say that, after a certain unknown number of generations... Some bird had given birth to a woodpecker and some plant to the mistletoe, and that these had been produced perfect as we now see them. But this assumption seems to me to be no explanation, for it leaves the case of the co-adaptations of organic beings to each other and to their physical conditions of life untouched and unexplained. Holy fuck, that was a giant-ass sentence. That sentence was like nine lines long in this book. And it was one paragraph. Fuck. This is going to be fun. We're on page six out of 480? 478. We're making our way through. Back to reading. It is, therefore, of the highest importance to gain a clear insight into the means of modification and co-adaptation. At the commencement of commencement of my observations, it seemed to me probable that a careful study of domesticated animals and of cultivated plants would offer the best chance of making out this obscure problem. Nor have I been disappointed. In this and in all other perplexing cases, I have invariably found that our knowledge, imperfect though it be, a variation under domestication, afforded the best and safest clue. I may venture to express my conviction of the high value of such studies, although they have been very commonly neglected by naturalists. 
From these considerations, I shall devote the first chapter of this abstract to variation under domestication. We shall thus see that a large amount of hereditary modification is at least possible, and, what is equally or more important, we shall see how great is the power of man in accumulating, by his selection, successive slight variations. I will then pass on to the variability of species in the state of nature, but I shall, unfortunately, be compelled to treat this subject far too briefly, as it can be treated properly only by giving long catalogues of facts. We shall, however, be enabled to discuss what circumstances are most favorable to variation. In the next chapter, the struggle for existence amongst all organic beings throughout the world, which inevitably follows from their high geometrical powers of increase, will be treated. This is the doctrine of Malthus, applied to the whole animal and vegetable kingdoms. What the fuck? Animal and vegetable? Okay. As many more individuals of each species are born than can possibly survive, and as consequent, consequently there is a frequency, frequently recurring struggle for existence, it follows that any being, if it vary however slightly in any profitable in any manner profitable to itself, under the complex and sometimes varying conditions of life, will have a better chance of surviving and thus be naturally selected. It's italicized. From the strong principle of her inheritance, any selective variety will tend to propagate its new and modified form. This fundamental subject of natural selection will be treated at some length in the fourth chapter, and we shall then see how natural selection almost inevitably causes much extinction of the less improved forms of life and induces what I have called divergence of character. In the next chapter, I shall discuss the complex and little known laws of variation and the correlation of growth. In the four succeeding chapters, the most apparent and gravest difficulties on the theory will be given, namely, first, the difficulties of transitions, or in understanding how a simple being or a simple organ can be changed and perfected into a highly developed being or elaborately constructed organ, secondly, the subject of instinct or the mental powers of animals, thirdly, hybridism, or the infertility of species and the fertility of varieties when intercrossed, and fourthly, the imperfection of the geological record. In the next chapter, I shall consider the geological succession of organic beings throughout time, in the 11th and 12th, their geographical distribution throughout space, and in the 13th, their classification or mutual affinities, both when mature and in an embryonic condition. In the last chapter, that's 14 if you've been counting. In the last chapter, I shall give, give a brief recapitulation of the whole work and a few concluding remarks. No one ought to feel surprised at much remaining as yet unexplained in regard to the origin of species and varieties. If he makes due allowance for a profound ignorance in regard to the mutual relations of all the beings which live around us, who can explain why one species ranges widely and is very numerous, and why another allied species has a narrow range and is rare? Yet these relations are of the highest importance, and they determine the present welfare, and, as I believe, the future success and modification of every inhabitant of this world.
Still less do we know of the mutual relations of the innumerable inhabitants of the world during the many past geological epochs in its history. I've also heard that word epochs. You know, the time period thing, epochs? I don't know. Although much remains obscure and will long remain obscure, I can entertain no doubt, after the most deliberate study and dispassionate judgment of which I am capable, that the view which most naturalists entertain, and which I formally entertain, namely that each species has been independently created, is erroneous. I am fully convinced that species are not immutable, but that those belonging to what are called the same genera are lineal descendants of some other and generally extinct species, in the same manner of the acknowledged varieties of any one species are the descendants of that species. Furthermore, I am convinced that natural selection has been the main but not exclusive means of modification. And that's the introduction. So, with that, we will draw this first episode to an end. Um, like I said, that was, you know, some pages. That was not many. Three. That was like five pages. So, Next time, we will do chapter one, or at least part of chapter one, Variation Under Domestication. So until then, thanks for listening. Again, this has been a very special sneak peek of my new podcast, The Origin of Species for Bastards. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, We'll be back next week with the remediation um, for Biology for Bastards. And don't think that this means Season 2 is not happening. Season 2 of Biology for Bastards, all about evolution, will be coming out later this spring. So until then, thanks again for listening.